Welcome to episode six of the Developer Diaries. In this episode, we are going to dive a little bit deeper into who Josh is and how he became a developer and what that entire journey was like. Um, and so, yeah, we've already sort of just established in the last episode that you were a builder and you are someone that is really enjoys building. Um, and I can sort of already sense why you became a developer, but can you sort of talk a little bit about how you went from building things like Legos into becoming an actual designer? Like what was that introduction like? How did you get into it? What influenced you into becoming a designer first? Sure. It's funny hearing me describe as the designer as the extent of my design shops is I was into Photoshop in high school and took a few classes in art stuff. Yeah. I was never very good at it. Probably really good for me. I never made a career out of design. But, but you I enjoyed liked... it, right? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. To yeah. be fair, half of what I did with Photoshop was put people's faces on animals or vice versa. But there was there was a root of, of real work in there. Um, and I do once in a while design something now. Um, I designed the website for PhillyJS, which is a brutalist nice. design. <laughs> <laughs> the thing cracks me up. But yeah, I... I got into Legos because it was fun and I really connected with the problem solving aspect of it. I liked taking in these fundamental building blocks and mix and matching them together in logical ways to create something new and creative, which I hope speaks to many designers and many developers who are listening to this. I think that's something that design and development share. You have fundamental building blocks you can mix and match in some way. So when I got into Photoshop, it was... It was that same kind of, I have a goal. I want to accomplish that goal. And I'm trying to be creative and getting to it. Same thing with code. And I think that's part of why I really connect with front-end web development in general, because I can get that satisfaction of seeing a creation in front of me, seeing the results of my problem solving, my, my creativity, while also getting the technical or the, the more intellectual problem solving in the mix of it, whether that's you know, mix and matching colors and fonts in a good way, something that I almost never do correctly, or architecting code functions and classes to work together, something I do slightly better, that that stuff feels good. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of things in life where sometimes you're like playing games. Um, and those things influence the way that your brain sort of looks at the actual work that you do, right? Maybe you're super into theater. Maybe you're very like, you're really like drawing and those types of things. Um, is there any aspect of your life at that stage that influenced you into going into Photoshop or like going down that design route? Well, I was between uh, Legos and adulthood. I was really into uh, two video games in particular, Halo and RuneScape. I used to have a Santa hat. OG RuneScapers know how cool that is. Everyone yeah. else does not. Uh, I don't uh, know. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it was an expensive item in the game. <laughs> anyway, um, I was active in uh, forums online. I would like today it's it's all Discord. But back in the day, you'd go on like forums and talk with your clan members. Clan referring to like a gaming clan, not that one. Um, and then also, I got in high school into Magic: The Gathering, the card game, and there was a forum there, MTG Sally. So I would do these little images that. At the time, people would oftentimes have what's called a signature. Like every post you make, there'd be a small signature underneath it with a little image. And people would ask some kind of Photoshop-capable or whatever image program-capable person to make their signature images. So I would do that. And that's that kind of really got me excited about Photoshop and the capability of getting design done for other people. 
Nice. And then how did that, how did you take that into um, actual coding? What was your first introduction into coding? Ooh, I had a lot of signatures and I wanted a gallery. So I made, <laughs> I called it Rising Studios. I don't remember why I came up with that name. It sounded pretentious, which at the time I thought was a good thing. And I, I just made this little HTML website with this blue, dark blue and gold design to, to show off all my images. And it's not up anymore because, ugh. but the performance was real bad, real bad. Like a lot of full size, like big images shrunk down to thumbnails so I could fit more on the screen. All sorts of things that now I would look at it and kind of wag my finger. Nice. <laughs> you were just like a hacker. You were just like, I want to do something and I'm just going to try it and see how it works out. Yeah. And in my yeah. defense, it worked. Like the site yeah. might have been, you know, horrible by 2023 standards, but by whatever 2010 standards, it was awesome. You yeah. got all my images yeah. up there. Yay. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that there's like, there's a lot of like cringy designs that are coming back. So I'm sure that Oof. it would still perform well. I kind of want to see it now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're like, it's buried. No one's going to see that anymore. Deaf. Deaf. Um, were there any like classes that you took, any, um, any like actual coursework that made you like more interested or get a chance to explore coding or programming more before you went to college? Yeah. Um, two, two tracks. So in high school, I was between design slash Photoshop stuff and coding, uh, in the, the first, uh, my, I had, there were two teachers who I really liked in particular, um, Mr. Abin and Mr. Doolittle, who I will try to remember to email after this goes out. Um, they had some like digital arts style classes and that kind of got me the chance to do a lot of design work. Not necessarily, I don't think any of them involved coding. I don't remember us doing HTML much, but uh, they did give a chance to do kind of like the web oriented design. Like we made logos that would also go on a, a website for example. So that was nice. Yeah. But there was an actual, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but there was an actual coding class in high school that I took. Uh, this was New York, so AP Computer Science. I took Computer Science 1 and then AP Computer Science, which was in Java. I don't even remember. Is it AP Advanced Placement? I, I can't remember what yeah, it stands yeah, for. Yeah, it is. Thanks. And yeah. you know what? I did not do well in the AP exam. The standardized test told me I was not particularly cut out for this. Take that, AP. I'm, I've never been shame shame on AP <laughs> yeah I know they've changed it a lot since then but there was this one awesome project I really enjoyed um I think the teacher Mrs. McCarthy who was really good um got a kick out of this there was grid worlds where uh you had this little grid of actors an actor could be like a rock or a bug or something so I made bugs that would spawn random other bugs and walk in random directions. And then they would spawn them in a random color. And then I had the circle of life thing with like zombies and it was awesome. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. And then you decided that computer science was something that you at least wanted to try, maybe not, you know, do for the rest of your life. And so you went and decided to do that, apply to colleges, do the applications, go into college. What was that experience like? Yeah, I think there were two things that convinced me that I should really focus on computer science programming for college. One was the pure enjoyment of things like grid world. And yeah. other than the AP exams, I actually was really good at the computer science classes. The other was the expected paychecks for design. It is an undervalued monetarily profession, whereas we are in development overvalued monetarily. 
So that was helpful. So I just applied for computer science everywhere. And I got into a few universities. I oh, One really middle of the road university waitlisted me and I can never remember which one. I always thought it was funny. Anyway, uh, the best university that I got into for computer science was RPI, which is where I ended up going. It's also where my dad was a teacher, a professor nice. in the computer science department. So that may or may not have helped that, unclear. <laughs> And what was your first experience with college courses like? It was brutal. Uh, yeah. I, the way RPI, I think, still structures CS uh, is that there is computer science one at the time, C++, now in Python, and then CS2, data structures in C++. And if you already took something like AP CompSci in high school, you skip CS1. I skip CS1. Data structures is the weed out course. And I was not a good student. So there were a lot of very sleepless nights, a lot of staying up till midnight for the due on midnight homework, a lot of asking for help in the group study things, a lot of, ooh, maybe I screwed up and made the wrong choice here. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely remember there were a few homeworks that made me strongly question whether I was in the right place. Yeah. If college isn't making you question whether you're there, it's not doing yeah. its job. That's what I learned <laughs> the hard way. <laughs> Every single day I was like, oh my God, I should just drop out at this point. Like, why am I even here? Um, which is a terrible feeling to have because you're sort of like, oh my God, I'm putting so much time and energy and like resources into this experience. And if I don't get the yeah. degree, people are going to be disappointed. Um, so there's a lot of pressure there. And I know a lot of people have that experience and feel those feelings. Um, and just because you feel them doesn't mean it's true. I think that's like one of the yeah. biggest learning lessons is the tech industry is significantly different to the college experience. And especially in terms of specialization, like you're learning all sorts of things in college. Whereas when you're actually working, you can explore all sorts of things, but you're likely going to specialize in like one specific area, whether that's web development, whether that's going into like machine learning or something completely different. Um, I haven't touched or even looked at a piece of C++ since I graduated <laughs> college and I'm, that makes me so happy. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely like the, you will question whether you should be there, but you should be there and <laughs> get the degree yeah. if you can, if you can afford it. Um, so, okay, so you mentioned that your classes were brutal and you struggled in there. How did you learn to enjoy coding if you were struggling with your classes? They were really good classes, I'd say. That helped a lot, um, especially the one I just mentioned as making me question things, data structures. Professor Cutler, who was the professor for it at the time, was an excellent teacher. Uh, the, the homeworks were really useful, really core to a lot of the computer science -y stuff you want to learn. Similar with the third in the series of classes everyone had to take, Intro to Algorithms. Uh, the professor at the time, Das, was just you know really good. And this was useful information. So when I wasn't struggling to get things done before the deadline last minute, I did enjoy the coursework. It was cool stuff. I was learning. I like to be learning. I always want to be learning. Uh, that's a really good drive, and I'm happy to have it. And I don't know, eventually it got easier. I think algorithms, I got like a B plus or something and it was a really hard course. And RPI is one of those schools where like a B plus is something to be proud of. Not, yeah. oh, it's not an A. <laughs> and by the time I got to like second and a half year, like winter, give or take, I was, I was a lot more confident and happy as a student. Yeah. I heard you were a connect for bot like genius oh. or, you know. <laughs> Who did um, you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. 
Uh, how did you go about like what made you build? Was it like an assignment? Um, was it something like a side project that you were just building on for fun? Yeah. So um, first, first year I took a course where you had choices of what thing to do for your final. And I chose to write a Connect4 bot. And that was good because data structures had a project, one of the weeklies, where you would do a Tic Tac 4 bot. And it was one of the ones that showed you decision trees as like a implement your own tree kind of situation. So I combined those two together and wrote what is the greatest Connect 4 bot I have ever seen. I, I have I know people have mathematically solved this game. I have not seen those solutions, but like the greatest personally written for fun Connect 4 bot ever in my life. And as a result, I got really good at Connect 4. I understand the like clustering and, and top priority strategies really well because you have to rank boards on whether you want them or not. So yeah, that was probably the first project that I really put a lot of time and effort into as a side project, like something, a coding side project, something that I like went above and beyond and had a good time with and also learned a lot from. So I have very fond memories of that Connect 4 app. Nice. <laughs> um, I... I think like landing your first internship can be really hard. And if you have projects like that, it sort of makes it easier. But when you're trying to land that first internship, you're in this awkward phase where you don't really know what you're doing. You don't know how to communicate what you're doing um, or like write about it in resumes or talk about it when you're speaking to re recruiters. And oftentimes you don't have that many great projects. You're really just relying on the things that your professors have told you to build on assi in assignments and stuff. Um, unless you're one of those developers that are just constantly building side projects from the beginning, which is great. Um, but what was like, do you have any advice or any stories about how you went about get landing that first internship and what yeah. helped in that process? Yeah. It's funny. Every time I answer this, I have like a different set of things that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, the first, someone else wants me to build a thing for them. That's not a toy thing that I had was um, the Res Life or Residence Life. It's the organization at RPI that manages like dorm rooms and housing and stuff. Uh, they needed a website redesign. And by virtue of having done random web design projects in high school, I got it. In retrospect, I don't think I was a particularly good candidate because I was not, in retrospect, proud of the designs, but I got it to work. It was this ridiculous system called XSLT, XLSD, some like horrible thing from whatever the early aughts or even maybe 90s. I don't know. It was hard to use. It was old, but it was a good work experience. Unfortunately, I didn't get that fall freshman year. I got that spring freshman year. So uh, it wasn't particularly useful for the career fair in fall. I'm proud to say, I love telling people this, I got no callbacks my first career fair at RPI. None. No one wanted me. Oh, <laughs> it, no. it happens. Um, such is life. But yeah, that, that first thing was, it was a good on ramp. But I always tell people, don't go for the big whales. They're like, the really, I want this. This is my dream jobs first. Try to ease your way into it so that you learn. And this was a good, easier way into work. Yeah. And I want to say, it's not that no one wanted you. It's that there's just a lot of competition <laughs> out there, right? Like they're hiring interns from all sorts of schools and it's like the hiring process is really awkward because you're judging people based on a piece of paper and very little knowledge into what they're actually capable of because they don't have extensive years of experience on their resume yet. Um, but yeah, continue. Sure. You're absolutely you, correct. You were wanted. You were just, there was too much competition. <laughs> I was wanted less than the competition, one, oh, one no. would say. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and honestly, 
Another thing I love telling people is that the hiring process is always stupid. It is full of inaccuracies and imprecisions. That's just the nature of trying to make quick decisions on people based on a piece of paper or like a 20 minute interview, 30 minute interview. It's impossible to do well. So yeah, I don't feel bad. Um, but my first actual professional internship was with a neuroscience lab up in Albany called Shulk Lab. Uh, I did the website, but I get to say it was a neuroscience lab, which is very good for my resume. Uh, they were like flyers posted up around campus in the spring, and I somehow struck a positive chord with Dr. Shalk, the, the lab administrator. Um, I had such a good time. I did the website, which was a Drupal and PHP affair. Um, I ended up also uh, doing some lab work with them, like general IT stuff. I ended up also the next uh, winter, I want to say, I wrote a MATLAB program over winter break that was this bizarre data visualizer for the lab data that they had in their format. I also ended up working in C++ in the program called BCI 2000 that the lab worked on, which interestingly was the first important open source project I ever tried to contribute to. I don't know if I ever landed any code, but I did some explorations. And yeah, that was a great experience. The people there were a lot of fun to work with. It was a lot more casual than I thought it would be. Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate my time there. Yeah. I actually, I just yeah. remembered I had a high school internship at uh, Capcom FCU, Federal Credit Union, I think, um, where I didn't do any code, but I did like internal wiki documentation. And that was a fun time. But it yeah. wasn't like, it was something to put on the resume, which really helped, but it wasn't a coding experience per se. Yeah, something to put on the resume. That's such an important point, because when you're at that stage, um, you just need to fill that page up, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I... I worked at the internship and counseling services center, whatever. I remember what it's called exactly. I was a peer advisor. And so I was responsible for telling people how to write their resumes and like the best practices and everything and how to improve it so that they can actually get jobs. So I get a lot of students coming in um, with like incredible resumes that were filled with a lot of experiences. And they're mm -hmm. like, I'm not lending any internships. What do I do? Um, and I remember one of the advice or like the feedback that I would often have is like you have to, especially in tech, you have to have like specific languages written down. Like you can't just say that I like learned X, Y, Z in the class. You have to say that you are able to speak, not speak, write in a specific language or a framework or like those specific tools that you're able to use, right? Otherwise, when people are trying to hire you, that's what they really care about, Um they don't care as much about the number of students you were able to recruit into your organization. Um, but that's tough because there's that's a heavy expectation to have for a college student who possibly only did one side project in that language or framework or only did something for us one class out of the, I don't know, hundreds of classes that you take in college. Um, and so a lot of the time it's just about finding the right way to phrase things. Whereas like once you're in the industry and once you already have started working you can't get away with you know maybe exaggerating those things because people will catch you um yeah. so yeah i don't really have any specific points to make here i just think it's <laughs> such a wild thing that there's such a heavy expectation to have like mastered certain languages and frameworks um at such an early stage in your learning career i agree with that specific point you just made strongly yeah agree. 
Yeah. I also think that there's, this is another reason why hiring is so silly, especially in software development. We expect people to go above and beyond. And that's a reasonable expectation when you have a bajillion candidates. If you have 50 identical bootcamp grads or 50 identical CS program grads, you have to make a decision somehow. So whoever has the stuff that no one else has is going to end up on top. That I don't know of any other logical way to do this, given yeah. that you can't interview everyone. Yeah. But that means that, you know, the person who's, I don't know, working part time to put themselves through this expensive school just has a disadvantage. And that's a privilege point that I also don't know how to overcome and really resent in, in this life. Yeah. That's so true. Because if you are, if you have to depend on having a job while you're doing all of these classes, you have little to no time to do any extracurriculars and go into clubs and do those things. Or you take whatever time you have left and then you're completely burnt out like every single day. Yeah. Um, that's true. Such is life. I will Such say though that life. when I see candidates who have a current job during university, I always try to make a little mental note of like, okay, I that is something that if we do end up talking to ask, like, hey, are you also doing a part-time work while in these classes? And yeah. I, I wish there was a better way to systematize this, trying to understand where candidates are coming from. But um, that's, I don't know. It's just something that we as an industry, I think, collectively don't do well. Like understanding that people from underprivileged backgrounds who go to like a school system that doesn't physically have computers, it's, it's, hard, it's harder for them. They're coming from a different place from someone like me who grew up with a comp sci professor, dad, and computers at home running relatively latest windows, you know? For sure. Um, all right. So let's go back to like the projects that you were building in college. What were like your favorite projects that you feel like to this day, you're either proud of them or you just learned a lot out of that experience? Um, was there anything like that? that you, or is it just you're like, I never want to think about any of these projects ever again? <laughs> Some of them I definitely don't want to think of ever again. Some of the crap that I had to <laughs> scrape together desperately. Um, but no, I've got a few projects that I'm really proud of. And Cream of the crop there, the top one is this ridiculous monstrosity called Full Screen Mario. It's got a Wikipedia page. It is a full ripoff, and I do mean full ripoff in the most derogatory of, <laughs> of the original Super Mario Brothers. It's got the original 32 levels. It's got a random map generator, a level editor, mod support with a lot of good built-in mods like invincibility and whenever you touch the ground, earthquake. I love that project. I love that project. It was such a fun thing to work on. I started it because I was bored in a class uh, beginning of sophomore second year. And nice. it went viral a third of the way through junior third year. Oh, what a great project. Eventually, yeah. Nintendo shut it down. But <laughs> Wow. You have a Wikipedia page. You got shut down. You're basically a celebrity. That's insane. <laughs> Wait. First of all, don't say celebrity because I will show it to my spouse and make her upset. And like, and that brings me so much joy. Second of all, I don't have a Wikipedia page. I, I have only two notable accomplishments, which are Wikipedia level notable, which are a book and full screen Mario. But once I get a third one, I'm pretty sure I get a page. Very excited. Okay. Well, you're mentioned and that's still a pretty big deal. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I honestly, one of the things that I struggle with in addition to anxiety is, uh, praising myself or accepting praise which i know that's a big thing like no one ever wants to oh you're right i am great like that's not a thing a lot of people feel comfortable with and i was raised yeah. to be you know bashful and shy like the american clint eastwood stereotype but yeah. you know i am proud of this project i fully recognizing that the code was utter trash it was my first big javascript thing 
and it was hundreds of global variables and buggy as all heck and terribly slow. I'm really proud of what I did there. You got to build bad code to build good code, right? Like you don't yeah. just wake up one day and know all of the best practices. Um, that's sure. really awesome. I love how you mentioned that you were just bored in a class one day. Like boredom <laughs> can take you places. Boredom can get you mentioned on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. I that's A couple notes on that. Uh, one is I was bored. I was also very, the sophomore year, that year is when I discovered the term imposter syndrome. And that really resonated with me. Because, you know, prior to that year and even then sitting in a class with a bunch of, you know, nerds snarkily talking about, oh, it, it took me a whole three hours to do this week's homework, whereas I'm like spending, you know, three hours a, a daylight cycle. Um, that was upsetting. And then I was 100% convinced that I needed to do something big and flashy to, in order to differentiate myself. And although it worked out, you know, I, I still remember that feeling of, yeah, I need to do something because I'm going to be a, like a homeless failure like that was one of the phrases i thought homeless failure if i don't do something bigger. <laughs> yeah. yeah college puts a lot of pressure on kids and it can <laughs> it result does. it can result in good things sometimes um yeah. this is just completely unrelated but you mentioned like kids snarky kids talking about their experiences and i just remember like in my freshman year, I had like no clue about anything related to coding before I joined college. I don't even like even when I was applying, I was like, what's the difference between software and hardware? I don't understand any of this, which in hindsight is like, that's a really dumb question. But like someone I had that's no clue what question. it was. You had no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in freshman year, I was, people were talking about like, oh yeah, we're learning C++ or we're learning in C. Um, but, you know, Python, the intro to coding class, the very first one is in Python because it's easier. And I'm like, there's a language named after a snake. What is that? Like, I didn't even know what that meant. And just feeling like having all of these questions that aren't even questions, but everyone seems to already know and have the answers to. And you're just like, oh my God, I'm in this really awkward place where I don't understand anything can be really overwhelming. That imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. I feel like everyone feels it at some point, right? It might not be the same questions yeah. or the same situations, but what, whether you're in school, whether you're already working, you're going to have a moment where people are talking about shit that you feel like you should know, but you don't actually know. That's yeah. a really scary thing to deal with. It is. And imposter syndrome is so common that it has become an overused term in the industry that we as assign everything to imposter syndrome. But it's yeah. because everything is in some way relevant and applicable here. You sit in a class like I did and everyone else is talking about how they finished the homework and you're like, I don't belong. I don't know these things. You, you apply for a thing and everyone else is talking about Python or Java and you're like, what is hardware versus software? You, you don't look like or talk like or have the same social capabilities or physical capabilities or whatever everyone around you. These are all some of the many ways that folks can be isolated and or self-isolate themselves in their minds. And it is very natural. And I mean, as an industry, we should get better. And as people, yeah. we should get better at, you know, overcoming and creating situations where the isolation doesn't happen. But it's especially in this day and age, very, very likely to happen for a lot of people. Yeah. And I hope that like, if anyone who is listening to this or watching this at some point um, is feeling that way, sort of recognizes that it's completely okay. Um, and there's nothing wrong with you. 
everyone's going to feel that way at some point. Um, Do you have any advice or like thoughts around what we've just spoken about, about like dealing with those like really uncomfortable feelings or just being able to bring your creative side into tech? Yeah, both of those. And I'll try to answer one before the other. Yeah, they're Um, completely different questions, but I just threw them at you together. (laughs) Um, The first one is a phrase I've been hearing off and on a lot. Find your clan. Um, For me, my clan was people who also aren't like excelling at computer science or like kind of struggling um, or just have a similar personality. Once in a while, I'll get a mentee who is, let's say, like a young person of color, a woman in tech and they, they're speaking of situations that I don't have the lived experiences to, to help them with. And my general advice to them is find someone who can help you in a way that is useful here. Um, so whether it's like a student organization or a bootcamp organization that speaks to your, let's say, gender or sexuality area or whatever it is, um, finding people who have shared lived experiences with you is very useful. Uh, 90% of the time, the the first advice that's really helpful that people get is what we've just been saying. It's okay. It's normal. But it's very exceptionally useful to hear that from someone who has been through the thing you're you're going through and is actually knowledgeable in saying that rather than me, who is just giving you a general platitude. Awesome. That is very good advice. Um, Thank you so much, Josh. That's it for this episode of the- Wait, there was a second thing. I already forget what it was. I'm going to cut that out. Go for it. <laughs> no, I don't the, remember. What was the second thing? <laughs> the creative side. Oh, yeah. Um, fine. So for being creative or, or doing something that goes above and beyond, if you have the time, definitely advise finding something that speaks to you. Um, for me, Full Screen Mario was a culmination of an emotional journey over two decades because when I was a kid, one of the things that I did was play video games instead of having friends or real relationships. And Mario was one of those games that I had such a strong nostalgia feeling for, you know, that that little feeling of sitting on the couch with my parakeet and playing Game Boy Super Mario Bros. Advance was awesome. So that really motivated me. And a lot of people try these personal projects, start them, feel attached to them, but don't really have the motivation to continue and assign blame to coding. But once you find a project that really speaks to you, it becomes a lot easier. Not necessarily easy, but easier to, to keep working on it. So definitely recommend find what speaks to you. Yeah, that was very beautifully said. Thank you so much. Um, And that's it for this episode of the Developer Diaries. We'll see you next week. Yay.